This is Car Expert. For half the price of a Turbo S, you're kind of getting an electric car that as a daily is just as good. The only way to get away from ridiculously high petrol prices is to pivot our transport industry away from running on hydrocarbons. This car is a potpourri of design work. It's a pleasure to welcome this week, Tony Crawford. Hello. Mandy, how are you? Very well. And William Stockford. Hi, Mandy. We're going to start with some pretty big news, Will, uh, with Sangyong. I want you to sort of explain the details of this because it seems a little complex but also very big at the same time. Well, you know, they say cats have nine lives, but I feel like that almost extends to Sangyong because they've been in a position like this before. They've changed hands. Um, now, basically what's happened, the news out of Korea, is that Sangyong's actually cancelled the deal to sell a controlling stake in itself. So if we remember, if we cast our minds back, you know, around 12 months or so, uh, Mahindra and Mahindra, the Indian company that owns Sangyong, said, we're not investing any more money in this company. We're just going to just find a buyer for it. So it went through a, a court process. Um, a preferred bidder was selected after the number of, of prospective bidders was whittled down. And a consortium, love that word, led by Korean electric bus manufacturer Edison Motors um, was selected. Uh, they had a deadline to pay for, um, they basically put down a 10% down payment <laughs> on the company. They had a deadline to pay the rest. They didn't meet it. So apparently Sangyong has cancelled the deal, which means that because they're still in the court process, this now just goes back to step one effectively because it seems from from what we're seeing from these reports out of Korea, it seems unlikely that this deal with Edison Motors is going to go ahead. Um, there were already um, objections that were being made by its creditors towards the debt restructuring. Um, there were objections that were being made by Sangyong's labor union members saying that this, this Edison Motors didn't seem to uh, be the answer uh, to Sangyong's problems. So now Sangyong has to go and find another buyer prospectively what if they um, don't well um let's just hope they do yeah. um now they have this honestly i cannot think of a company that has had a more torturous history uh than sangyong except for maybe saab and unfortunately we all know how that ended um sangyong if you recall was bought by daewoo which promptly <laughs> entered its a financial meltdown of its own and had to offload it uh chinese sake motor owned uh, Sangyong and offloaded it um, when the global economy was not doing so well. Then Mahindra had a go at it. And Sangyong, you know, has been putting out probably the best cars it's ever put out. But still, all these decades later, a lot of people don't even know what the hell Sangyong is. Um, So we're just in a position, the company's in a position now where it needs to find another buyer. And it doesn't seem like, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, why doesn't he, why don't Hyundai and Kia buy Sangyong? That makes a lot of sense. They're also Korean. Uh, they don't sell any utes. Um, they don't really, they don't really export any body on frame SUVs. Seems like a perfect fit. Except now Kia's recently announced that they're developing a pair of electric utes, um, which is what Sangyong was saying it was going to do. Uh, so they'll finally be getting into like the, the, the ute segment. Uh, so they don't seem to really have a ute for Sangyong anymore. Uh, nobody else, there weren't any car companies that, that raised their hands in this most recent uh, court process to, to say that they wanted to do it. It was it was all down to like electric scooter manufacturers, electric bus oh. manufacturers, um, a company that wanted to uh, import, car, uh, like import cars into the US. But it wasn't like, you know, 
forward with saying, oh, we'd love to buy Sangyong. So we'll just have to see. It's, it would be really sad if this is how the Sangyong story ends. Um, it seems to all be very fluid, um, and we'll just have to wait and see if they do find uh, a buyer. I reckon uh, it'll go under and people, other car manufacturers will buy up the assets to increase their volume. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because if you think about other flailing brands that have been scooped up, look at MG, uh, that got scooped up by the Chinese. The difference is there is that MGs today are completely different from what they were when when, uh, when Seik Motor bought it. Um, and MG has the heritage of its nameplate, a very, very, very old nameplate uh, with a lot of brand recognition. Sangyong doesn't have that kind of... Um, name recognition so it's it's not a case of um a chinese company scooping it up to to get uh, easy access to that kind of name equity it's just they make great cars but unfortunately it doesn't seem like any company wants to actually buy them and, and sell them themselves like you said will you only get nine lives and i think this is probably uh their ninth crack yeah i think you know, uh, i are out of luck Three parents in uh, in in thirty or so years. Yeah. Mm. Wow! Yeah, well, it's always that- a shame to see a car company go, but you know, Saab have gone by the wayside. Um, a couple of American brands have gone by the wayside, and uh, those had heritage. Um, certainly, Saab had massive heritage. I always still get excited when I see a Saab on the road. Do you guys as well? Well, I did. I did post something, Mandy, on my Insta. Did you? And it, uh, I posted the 900S that was in Italy that oh, I saw. I love those cars. And it did have a hell of a lot of traction. Did it? Uh, yeah, 1,500 um, uh, impressions on that uh, one pic of that Saab <laughs> 900S uh, beside an old wall, an old Roman wall. Fantastic. I- I uh, that was a wonderful photo. I encourage everybody to check out Croft's Instagram. Hey, I feel like I can beat that. Uh, I wasn't oh. able to take a photo though, but I did see one of the final, so second generation oh. nine fives the other day. And from what I recall, there's some crazy small number of them that actually made it here because they were effectively sold for about a year. So it was like 160 or something. I actually know someone on a Facebook group that bought one, and I it's narrowly a, missed out on the chance to actually go and see it. So, is that the nine five Aero or uh, I this one that I saw on the street. I don't know which variant it was. I saw it so quickly and I like went to do the awkward thumbs up and then the guy probably just looked at me yeah, like They were cool. <laughs> they were they, really they made were. fighter jets. Uh, in fact, in fact, uh, we all know the brand Koenigsegg, the uh, hypercar brand. Well, every Koenigsegg on the back window, you'll see a little um, uh, impression of a ghost. Now, that is there because where they test their cars is an old – is an old uh, aircraft uh, hangar and runway, and that was the Ghost Squadron, which was a squadron of uh, Swedish Air Force Saabs. And um, so every Koenigsegg that goes off the assembly line has a ghost picture on the back window. Cool. Um, I will also just uh, just circling back to Sangong for a second. Uh, I believe Vivek Shah is actually uh, putting together an article looking at the history of Sangyong, so that should oh, wow. be should be on the website by the time you're listening to this podcast. Hmm. Fair. That'll be a really cool read. Okay. Well, we'll get stuck into some car news now. Welcoming back for this week's car news, Jack Quick. Hello. Hello, Mandy. How are you? Very good and very excited because the Ford F-150 is officially coming down under. 
Yes, absolutely. I think this is the biggest news of the week. Um, there are a lot of things that happened this week, but this is probably yeah, the biggest in my books, I would have to say. So the Ford F-150 is confirmed to be coming to Australia in the, the fourth quarter of uh, 2023. Is, uh, the, sorry, the middle of 2023, I should say. It's the, the first time the F-150 has come to Australia since 1993 and is going to bring competition to the Ram 1500 and the Chevy Silverado 1500. So this Ford is going to be, uh, the F-150 is going to be remanufactured to right-hand drive by RMA Automotive in Mickleham, Victoria. So it's not going to be made right-hand drive in, no. in the US, but it's going to be made in the US, left-hand drive, and then shipped to Australia and then converted just like a lot of other manufacturers do for these large pickups down under um, that's a bit of a negative a that's a bit of a negative for yeah, me yeah i gotta so- say when i heard ford was coming with the f-150 i thought oh wow and then oh it's going to be converted by a third party oh well okay um so it's no different from like you said jack ram and um, it, it, is, it is, but it isn't because this is backed by Ford. And with this, it has a, a five-year warranty backed up by Ford. And you can also um, service it. Like you can uh, buy it and be, get it serviced through Ford dealers. Um, so it is a little bit different in that regard. Um, but there's going to be two variants offered here in Australia. It's going to be the, uh, initially, I should say. There's going to be the XLT and the Lariat, which are mid-range um, variants. And they're also the most popular in the US, which is what Ford Australia-based what they're going to be bringing to Australia on. And they're going to be available with a 3.5-litre twin-turbo EcoBoost V6, which makes 298 kilowatts and 678 newton metres of torque, which is a fair bit and it sounds good. And um, the one thing as well with these big pickups is they have a a lot of towing capacity. And so with this F-150, like the the Ram 1500 and the Silverado, and they have 4.5 tonnes of braked towing capacity. So with the the Ford has confirmed that they're bringing this F-150, it now opens the door and that Ford isn't ruling out the possibility of bringing the hybrid Raptor V8 or Lightning to Australia, the electric one. So it's a very exciting time to be down under. Um, but I do have a question for you guys. Do you think this Ford F-150 is a little bit too big for Australia? Oh, look, we've got the wide open spaces that the US does. I know a lot of people gripe about big pickup trucks in, in tight inner city areas, but, you know, it's, it's, it's the same in the US as well. They've got big cities too, and they've got, they don't always have the widest of streets. And I think what makes the F-150 interesting is um, Ford obviously has a much more extensive dealership network um, than uh, Ram does and, uh, and then GMSV does. So I think we could see the potential if the pricing is right, especially when you consider Ford is one of the hugest players in the ute market in Australia, that we could see more F-150s here than Silverados and Rams, as I said, if they get the pricing right and if the, if the local remanufacturing is right. So the Raptor and the other variants would also be converted, right? Well, don't get greedy, Tony. They've only said XLT and Lariat for now. Uh, you'll take right. those and you'll like them for now, but they've basically left the door open for I, more I, variants coming. i, I got to say, when I see the little Raptor, let's call it the Velociraptor that we have here, <laughs> um, I, and then I see a proper 150 Raptor, I mean, i got to say, it makes ours look so... You know, so uh, small and insignificant. And the fact is, it's just not anywhere as good looking as the proper big size mm. F-150. That that looks like a proper, 
I, I was going to say man's truck, but I won't <laughs> say that um, in this day and age because there's plenty of females that are quite capable of driving those that size truck. Um, what do you guys think about our little Raptor versus or our little Ford Ranger versus the proper F-150. I think the the new Ranger Raptor looks pretty damn tough and the fact that it has a, a unique engine compared to the rest of the lineup mm. instead of, you know, let's face it, a pretty uh, um, to, uh, bi-turbo four-cylinder diesel engine, that, that that's pretty impressive to me. Um, I think what's, what's interesting as well about the F-150 Raptor is that it uses a, a, a twin-turbo V6 and a lot of people in Australia kind of associate these big pickup trucks with big V8 engines, but it's not really the case anymore, at least not with the mm. F-150. More than 60% of F-150 sales, give or take, are of the two twin-turbo petrol V6 engines. Um, the V8 has, has almost been relegated to a niche player at this point. So it's a big point of differentiation because the only Ram and Silverado variants that are sold here mm. are petrol V8 powered. Uh, and let's see how long that is popular given... I know we've got a fuel... We've got a, um, you know, not a real... Uh, petrol price rationale at the moment, which will disappear by September, the cheap prices. Well, they're not that cheap. It's still a $1.79 a litre, right? So, you know, filling up filling up um, uh, an F-150 is not going to be cheap, right? No, it's not. So, so that does put the, the, the perspective, I guess, back on the – more economic versions of our Raptor. And you're right, they do look okay. It's just that when you get one, uh, there's a couple around where I live, actual Raptor F-150s, and they look fantastic. Not just a matter of looking tough and masculine, they just look really, really good. Got and of course, the road. yeah, and of course, let's not forget the tray size in our, in our utes. They're completely useless in most cases. Let's not forget as well that while we're seeing more and more high-end variants of, of utes like the Ranger and, and the Amarok, et cetera, um, if you actually look over at the American pickup trucks, they can get l- fully loaded and, and, and fully luxed up way more than any of the, you know, the Ranger-sized utes can. Like if you sit in a, a Ram 1500 Limited or an F-150 Limited or a Silverado High Country or GMC Sonera, Sierra Denali, mm. they are properly luxurious inside. Hey, we know. We sat in Paul's F-150 Platinum. There we and it was fully beautiful uh, Napa leather. It, it was, you know, you just don't need a luxury car when you've got one of those, like, yeah. It serves a dual purpose. And then you've got this space that I was talking about, this limousine-type rear leg room and a proper tray that you can fit a lot of stuff in. This is what I don't understand with utes in Australia. You can't fit stuff in those trays. And, uh, you know, they. why do people buy them when you can't fit anything in a tray and they're supposed to be a work vehicle? You would actually fit more in an SUV. Um, That's saying well, something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of SUVs, Jack, uh, Lotus's first SUV has been revealed. Will it be coming here? Well, we'll have to see at this point. So it's not confirmed for Australia to say. I'll start with its name first of all. It's called the Elytrae. <laughs> it's kind of like electric. <laughs> yeah, Will and I both did uh, like a, a rainbow one with the electric. Yes. <laughs> I've been calling it Elytra. Is it, it Elytra or Electra? Oh, it or? might be either or, but I've, I've been calling it Elytra. I 
I watched a video and that's how they, they said the name. So I'm going to stick with now stick with that now until I'm corrected. <laughs> but um, as you said, said, Mandy, this is going to be uh, Lotus's first ever SUV, which is pretty exciting, and it's not confirmed for Australia at this stage. But um, it promises a lot of stuff. It's going to have a battery larger than, uh, larger than 100 kilowatt hours, which is pretty big and it's going to have um, more power power is going to start at 442 kilowatts it's going to have a maximum range in its uh, most efficient um, variant of around 600 kilometers which is very good for an ev and it's going to have a zero to 100 kilometer a sprint time in less than three seconds in its most powerful guys so this is going to compete against, say, the, the BMW iX and the Mercedes-Benz EQE SUV. So it's going to be kind of pitched as that high-performance, low-slung coupe SUV, EV, or EV SUV, I should say. And um, on the inside, it looks very, very high-tech. There's a lot of strange and interesting design elements that I really like. And on the outside, it's um, equally so. It's very futuristic and, as I've said already, sleek and very coupe-like, even though it is an SUV. Um, I've got to say, Jack, this this looks like it's made up of six different vehicles. Yeah. Uh, let's start with the Lamborghini Urus at the front mm, end. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Let's start with a Tesla inside or part Tesla. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what the rear end looks like. Um, that could be part Volvo-ish. Yep, I'll no, start to the C40 recharge. I get yeah, that. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, this is so many cars. Who designed it? So, to kind of answer that question, so Lotus is now um, partly owned by Geely, which is a Chinese um, conglomerate, huge company, also owns Volvo, funnily enough, and heaps of other automakers as well. So, you're kind of seeing this change in Volvo design language where it's becoming more of a, I want to say, conventional styling but like it wants to kind of appeal to the masses but i i did want to ask though do you reckon this vehicle like do, do you think it represents the lotus nameplate Good question. hey if it handles well it can be a lotus <laughs> <laughs> i'm struggling to find a bad angle on this car i actually love every single wow yeah Mandy, Mandy, look, at, look at the wheels if they're not lamborghini urus wheels i don't know what is <laughs> I, don't, I don't yeah, I think it still looks beautiful. All right. like, uh, look, I like it too. Uh, you, you can be critical and still like the vehicle, but <laughs> this car is a potpourri of design work. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is a lucky dip of designers. There's, there's six different designers at work in here, um, but you've told me everything. The fact that it is made by, uh, well, it is owned by Geely and they do have access to quite a few different manufacturers as we've outlined. Do we have a price potential on this? A lot um, is what I would say. <laughs> but um, one thing that I want to quickly mad, uh, mention as well, uh, kind of pose a quick question. This is going to be a heavy car. Do you think this still follows on with Colin Chapman's um, lightweight ethos? Well, I'll be curious to see just how just how heavy it is if there has been really much in the way of weight saving techniques because when you've got a 100 kilowatt hour battery there's only really so much you can do 
Um, I'm more interested in uh, this is going to be the first of several vehicles that are going to come out of Lotus in China that are going to be built at its new Wuhan plant. I'm more interested in the four-door coupe that's uh, mm. set to be revealed next year. Um, I'm more interested in Lotus's eventual electric sports car that's due around 2026. There's also going to be a smaller SUV as well. But this is this is what I find interesting about Lotus. Um, does the brand have as much value outside of really dedicated enthusiasts um, as something like Porsche does? Mm. Because we remember people said it was so sacrilegious that Porsche would dare to release an SUV. But that really, really, really helped the brand mm. um, and probably brought in a lot of people that wouldn't have bought a Porsche previously because, you know, <laughs> they, they needed space. Absolutely. I wonder if this is if this model or the next SUV that Lotus brings out is going to help make the brand a little bit more mainstream and more accessible because mm-hmm. mm. I just wonder how, how much – obviously, it's a, it's a name with so much history and heritage. But outside of uh, hardcore enthusiasts, does it resonate with, with the average buyers? Will people cross-shop this with a KN or will they be like, Lotus, really? Hmm. Very good question. We'll I have to wait and see. I think it's going to be a very niche play, and um, it's got to be more than three hundred and fifty grand. This car, I would be surprised if it goes under three fifty. Mm. Um, given that most of the rivals, including uh, well, Eurus is three ninety one. Yeah. Um, ben- Bentley Bentayga, I think, is three thirty six. Mm. Is that three thirty? Sorry, that's five fourteen. Uh, and you've got the Aston uh, DBX seven hundred seven, which would be this competitor yep. at four at four twenty eight. So it, there's quite a variety of prices. Um, probably the cheapest is the Eurus, um, to be honest, in terms of this game. But uh, the Eurus is they're all around the same size. They're five point. They're up to five point one meters long. Seems to be this group of high performance SUVs. Um, I, I think it's kind of cool um, because it is electric. And, of course, none of the others I've mentioned are electric. Um, so this could be the first really high-performance EV SUV. Um, yep. Really. Agreed. So they've, they've broken new ground there. Yeah, we'll uh, just have to wait and see how it drives. We're going to move on to some more SUV news now, Jack. The 2022 Honda HRV pricing and specs. Yes. So this is the new HRV. If you haven't seen it already, it's very coupe SUV like as Honda is trying to promote it as. And it's very different. And I don't know if I'm convinced it's doesn't quite stack up and compare when you compare it to its competitors so in australia we get a two model range as the base model petrol and then there's the flagship hybrid variant and so when you think about this uh, base model petrol you think maybe like a little bit less than 30 grand a little bit more than 30 grand but no the the base model vix is priced at 36 700 drive away and the top of the range hybrid ehevl is priced at forty five thousand dollars. and those prices aren't negotiable either because honda now does an agency model we can't negotiate about uh, negotiate any prices it is what it is so that's Give or take and have fun with that, I suppose, is what I would say. But um, one of the biggest things I would say with this HRV in Australia is that it only comes with four seats, not five, 
four. Oh. So two in the front and two at the back. This is due to um, an Australian design rule um, intricacy where it doesn't allow for the roof-mounted um, middle seat seatbelt to, to work. So, which is fun. But um, a few other things with the HRV as well is it has a smaller 1.5 liter naturally aspirated engine rather than the 1.8 that was on the previous gen model. Um, that was pretty gutless. And then. Um, What's this one going to be like this, <laughs> this might follow along a similar design queue. And then also, there's um, one thing that I thought was really crazy is that HRVs are always known for their boots. And this car has one of the smallest boots in its segment at around 300 litres, which is oh. a little insane for a small SUV. I don't think that quite cuts it, even though that the, seat, the seats have the magic function where they can fold and lift and do a twist and twirl. I don't think... Uh, <laughs> Don't think that quite. You're on fire um, today, Jack. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, I don't think that quite cuts it, to be honest. Um, but one thing to note is that the the order books um, open for this HRV on March the 31st, and it's going to be launching in uh, Honda showrooms on April the 19th. What do you guys reckon? Uh, yeah. I, I like the look of it. I, <laughs> you do? I, yeah. I, I really think it's got some some uniqueness to it i think if you look at the side profile shot on our website it again there's something that looks like a xc40 um oh, what? yeah look at the side profile shot i should, I should note uh, to the to the listeners that tony is actually wearing glasses right now <laughs> i also do own an xc40 so i do know what i'm talking about <laughs> um, and i i actually think this looks really good i think it's different Look, the proof will be in the pudding um, because look at the rear styling too. I think the rear styling is pretty cool. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess the proof will be in how many people buy this thing and pay that money. Uh, I've got to say, um, two, 304 litres of luggage space. Jeez. Um, you ain't fitting much in there. <laughs> it's it's about, what, 5,400 more than the previous HRV was. There's more equipment, yes, but there's also one fewer seat that you can use and there's less power and that that 1.5 litre base engine, I'm sorry, those those outputs, are, that's barely more than a Kia Stonic with a 1.4. Mm. So that's a thumbs down from me. It looks all right to me, um, but you've got a very, very limited model range here. Um, you can't get a, a base model high You've either got to get a base model petrol or step all the way up almost 10 grand to get a fully loaded hybrid. Um, the base model misses out on things like blind spot monitoring and rear cross traffic alert. Um, it's just, it's not a very inspiring choice considering you can get a hybrid Toyota CHR for cheaper. I just, I, 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 I wish Honda luck, uh, I guess, um, but this just seems like a bit of a misfire. I, I think Honda, they, they they must have something, right? There's People still must think that they're a premium purchase and they're buying something of, of higher quality than um, other Japanese or Korean makes perhaps. I, I don't know. It's either, They're either going to do well with this stuff or they're going to go broke. Yeah, fundamentally, oh. Honda makes very good cars. Unfortunately, it just doesn't seem to price or position them appropriately for the market. Look at the Accord hybrid that costs thousands more than a Camry hybrid. Look at the Civic where the base model's mm. 47 grand drive away and you can't get a more affordable option. It's it's absolutely baffling the way they price and position their vehicles. It's like they're just, just willing for sales to go down. 
Yeah. Mm. Okay, and lastly, Jack, Queensland wants you to dob in a hoon. Dob in mm. a hoon. Dob in a That's all right. I just <laughs> wanted to do that phrase. It sounded like so much fun. <laughs> it was. Oh, our, our boys won't be happy to hear <laughs> um, so Queensland has um, started a new online portal and um, it's uh, getting you to dob in a hoon, funnily enough. Um, so one thing with this um, dob in a hoon portal is that you need to um, upload um, certain footage of a person doing a doughy, like doing all these like hoon different things. I'm trying to think of other things, but um, burnouts. Just burnouts, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, just doing things a hoon would do. Uh, those little rascals. Uh, <laughs> um, so once a car has been identified, um, the owner, the only way to get out of this is to say that you weren't driving the car and to like prove that you weren't driving a car. So it's a pretty radical system. It's very similar to like a speeding fine, but the a person is filming you doing this silly act and submitting it to the police and saying that you did this. So it'd be very hard to get out of, um, I would say. Um so what uh, what uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk, the Premier of Queensland, has already said that this system has been in for uh, used for a couple of weeks already, and it's already uh, helped with a few of the different cases, being able to provide um, some critical pieces of evidence, is what she said. Um, but in kind of context, um, in Queensland, uh, driving in a way that makes unnecessary noise or smoke—that's the quote—costs uh, costs you a fine of two thousand seven hundred and fifty-seven dollars. That's not even the big one because if you um, are uh, charged with careless driving or street racing you are charged with either a fine of five thousand three hundred and thirty eight dollars or six months prison Wow! so yeah i want to know guys what do you think is this a, a good system that's worth implementing or is it just a waste of time hey, look it sounded a little bit you know i don't know orwellian at first but when you actually think about it you already I think perhaps people are objecting to this because, oh, you have to prove you weren't driving, but, or, or you know, pr- prove you weren't driving and defend mm. yourself. You're kind of guilty until proven innocent, but that's kind of the same with speeding fines already. Mm. Um, and I don't know if anybody's really going to be uploading footage of somebody just going five kilometers an hour over the speed limit. Mm. This seems to be very much aimed at, you know, dumbass stuff like uh, that guy that did the or the oh. gender reveal with the, oh. with the burnout in the suburban like street. Mm. Yeah, you know, crap like that, you know, where you, you're, you're doing stuff that's dangerous, it's really loud, it's really noisy. So I don't like the idea of, in, you know, encouraging people to spy on each other. I, I totally get people's concerns with that. But if this can help deter people from, I mean, it's all well and good. If you want to go and do a burnout or, or a donut or whatever in an, in an industrial state after night, you know, after nightfall, okay, I get that. But don't do it in a suburban street where you could hit a kid or a cat or a dog or whatever. No, no, no. I, I, I disagree. I have an industrial. Cats, kids and dogs. I, I have an industrial <laughs> estate near about 5Ks from here, which we can hear hoons. Mm. Uh, whenever it rains, they come down and light mm. it up. Oh. And it's been going on apparently around here for like 20 years and the mm. cops just seem to do nothing about it. And it gets to the point where you, as soon as it's raining, you hear these idiots uh, light it up for sometimes a minute at a time. Jeez. And it drives you mad. And it could be at 11 o'clock at night. People could have babies sleeping. I, I'm all for it. If you do that and you do that, you know, uh, you know, consistently in certain conditions, then yeah, shut them down. Yeah. Um, the, you know, there there are places for that. You can go to the drags. 
um, every Wednesday night and do burnouts and that. Like, you know, there's we don't need that in suburbia when people, you know, pay good money to live in decent areas and want peace and quiet at night. You know, yeah. I, I'm all for it. But, you know, I think it does open up the opportunities for some people to dob people in, as you said, Will, for – uh, I did hear of a of a lawyer was telling me that he once had a client that got busted for accelerating out of a roundabout, uh, and he wasn't even speeding, but the cop thought he was trying to street race the guy. He was actually following to a different location where they were both meeting, and that guy had to go to court and spend a day and two thousand dollars to get out of that. So mm. you, you'd hope they weren't. You get the idiots, you know, filming anything and saying to police, "Oh, they were street racing." All right, that's a wrap for this week's news. Thank you, Jack Quick. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you for having me. Our next guest is Mike Costello. G'day, Moko. G'day, Mandy. G'day, guys. How are we? Hey, oh, well, I suppose we're suffering from budget fatigue. That's all we've been hearing this week. But there is one big thing that every person who drives a car has been complaining about is the price of petrol um, and the news that there's going to be a fuel excise. Um, can you give us a little f- more details on this one for us? Yes, of course. It's not just the uh, people who drive that are going to be affected by the the current insanely high prices of petrol and diesel because everything that you buy was delivered in a truck or a van that also ran on petrol and diesel and those costs do trickle down throughout the economy. So everybody gets affected by this. Um, The government's been under a ton of pressure and it's done what I would consider to be probably the bare minimum. (laughs) I mean, this is your classic pre-election budget. Uh, I won't use the term pork barreling, but there's certainly a fair degree of handouts happening with not a lot of consideration of who's going to pay for it and when. Um, But you know what? Right at the moment, people are at breaking point and they need something. So the fuel excise is typically 44.2 cents per litre. So it's a flat tax, Um, but it's been cut in half to 22 cents per litre, which means in real terms, the average price of fuel should drop by 22 cents per litre. That is assuming, of course, that service stations pass on that tax cut in full. We've seen overseas some cases of more unscrupulous operators not do this. The ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, which has uh, watchdog powers, is saying that it will be monitoring this closely, but quite how it plans to do that. And is it going to audit every single servo in the world? I'm not really sure. It's going to be a challenge. But basically what this means is you're looking at saving about $10 a tank, filling up, an average hatchback like a Toyota Corolla, 22 cents a litre, a fifth a litre fuel tank in a Corolla or an i30. So it's about 10 bucks a tank. Uh, Treasurer Frydenberg put it this way, a family with two cars who fill up once a week could save $300 or $30 a week or around $700 over the next six months. And that six months thing is crucial because there is a time limit put on this excise cut and it's six months. So it'll get the government through the election and it will hopefully get the Australian public through to a point where fuel prices drop Hopefully this Ukraine situation simmers down a little bit or we find some alternatives to cheapen the price of of international fuel. The other downside of this is it's going to cost about $3 billion. That's coming out of general revenue, but the vast majority of excise collected, about 98%, goes towards fixed land infrastructure, so roads and rail. So there is going to be a downside to this as well as an upside. Um, So I guess my final thought on this is, you know, it's nice, 22 cents a litre is something, it's not nothing, but you know, if the price of petrol continues to spiral, it's not going to be the panacea or the fix-all that's going to make everything better either. Um, and I think the most interesting part of all this is you're starting to see a number of industry bodies say, well, we need to go further, um, we need to actually get rid of the fuel excise altogether, 
at the same time, we need to get rid of the luxury car tax and stamp duty and all these other myriad taxes that are applied to cars and just replace it with a simple singular road user charge like we're seeing on EVs in Victoria, which theoretically would simplify the tax system and, and fix a lot of problems. Ultimately, of course, the only way to get away from ridiculously high petrol prices is to pivot our transport industry away from running on hydrocarbons and move towards hybrid or electric or hydrogen cars and trucks and buses and things like that. Though, of course, that is a long way away from happening. So interesting times, it's something, but uh, it's not the fix-all that uh, perhaps people were hoping for. Is that a price cut already in effect now? Yeah, so it was introduced from election night, but it does take a little while to feed through because most service stations uh, are storing petrol and diesel on site. They've already paid the 44.2 cents excise on that, Uh, so they have to get rid of that first. The new stocks that are coming in uh, will then be taxed at the lower rate. So you should be seeing Bowser prices drop in the next few weeks. But, of course, again, it comes down to which operators are going to pass on the tax cuts in full and which ones aren't. So it's going to be a very interesting thing to watch and wait for. Very interesting indeed. Uh, Moko, you've actually written a story on this, which you can find at the site. So thank you for your time. Always a pleasure, guys. Well, it's been a long time since we've had him on the podcast. Car expert, co-founder, Albor's fella. Hello. Hey, guys. How are you? Very good, Hello, thank dude. you. You've been spending some time behind a very nice car, the Porsche Taycan rear-wheel drive. This is actually the the base model. So um, how was your experience with it? Yeah, it's, it's, it is the base model. Um, it still costs you about 160 grand, realistically over 200 by the time you actually put some options on it. Um, I think it's the only Taycan you should buy. So I, um, I've driven the Turbo, I've driven the Turbo S um, and the Cross Turismo versions. I um I really don't get the point of spending four hundred grand on a Taycan when you two hundred and get really ninety nine percent the same experience because unlike a um, regular Porsche whereby you're really you know like if you compare a nine eleven base model to a GD two RS or even a Turbo S for for direct comparison it's a totally different car but from a Taycan base model to a Turbo S it's really not. It's just a little bit faster. Okay, it's a lot faster, but it's um, it's, it's two point four, dude. It's, 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 it is, but in a, in an electric car, you don't do it as often because it just doesn't feel as good. It's, you actually feel sick. Well, but, you know, you like, do it at every you do it every chance you get at the lights. Yeah, and the Turbo S has the best looking wheels of all. You can option those um, on the Taycan as well. It's about nine grand, I think, but. Um, no. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it is 5.4 to 100. So let's, let's not beat around the bush. It's not exactly quick um, for a Porsche anyway. But, uh, you know, for half the price of a Turbo S, you're kind of getting an electric car that as a daily is, is just as good. And it actually looks quite similar if you get the same wheels on it. There's no like wider arches or anything like that. So, you know, it's, yeah, for, for me, uh, you know, how I conclude the review was it's the only one you should really buy. You should buy that and buy yourself a, um, like a, a Cayman GDS or something for the same money as a Turbo S. It's a good deal. Yeah. What um, what options would you put on it? Oh, look, it's got some silly, silly options. Like you got to pay a thousand dollars for the car to make the electric sporty sound. Um, oh, it's not a good sound. It's a terrible oh, sound. No. But if you don't pay it, it's even worse. So, oh. like, oh. and that thousand dollars isn't buying you hardware like additional speakers. It's just. It's just playing a different sound than the one that it comes with standard. Like you literally pay a thousand dollars 
for a different sound file to be played digitally in your Porsche. It's I I, I don't know if I would pick it. Uh, not because you don't need it, because I've heard the normal one and it's not even, it's not good. But I just find the find the whole concept of paying a thousand dollars for a sound file quite quite bizarre. Um, you know, you can you could go back twenty years and Napster that and download it or something. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, other than that, like you can get adaptive suspension. Um, I think it's about five to six grand. I, I, I probably would, just because when you're spending that kind of money, you may as well just get the right suspension because you're probably gonna be driving for a couple of years. And if you if you go on a country roads, you'll need it. Um, but the one you should definitely consider is a twelve thousand dollar battery upgrade, which will give you an extra sixty k's. Um, and a faster zero to 200 acceleration time. Um, that's probably worth it, uh, unless you're really just going to daily it um, around, like, you know, just the CBD stuff. Um, but, you know, getting, getting that extra 60K could sometimes be the difference between having range anxiety and not. So for 12,000 bucks, you, you just kind of start. Starts getting, right? you start starts getting up there. And it starts getting over 200 grand in five <laughs> minutes. So. Wow. Yeah. Um, what about the interior elbows? Does it feel like you're, you're still missing out by getting the base? No, not at all. I, I, it's it actually feels really nice. The the only downside is you don't get the full leather appointed interior. That's that's kind of somewhere between seven and a half to eight and a half, depending on what color you want. Um, that's about it. But I, I the dash I, looks the same. Yeah, the dash looks the same. You still get the nice, you know, almost seventeen inch screen in front of the driver, plus the uh, ten inch uh, infotainment screen, plus there's another eight inch something. It's just full of screens, right? It's just screens galore. <laughs> Uh, it is a bit annoying, actually, because you get so many fingerprints on it. And also, like, you can't even change the direction of the aircon vents without using the screen. And that really yeah, that's, me. That's insane, actually. It's just like, crazy. Yeah. It's just crazy. So um, other than that, though, like, I actually really like the car. It, it, it Unlike the Turbo, like, we for, some, for whatever reason, Porsche Australia picked Noosa as the launch. And we went through these roads that Mark Webber had picked as his best driving roads because uh, he lives there. And um, and he's a he's a Porsche ambassador as well. And that car just isn't suited to that. <laughs> it um, the turbo was, but the base model Taycan and mine was wearing Hankook tires. They were absolutely oh, no. shocking. Like it was like squealing in every corner, and and I just thought, no, nah, this car is great for a daily, um, but I would not be doing this sort of stuff with it. That's for sure. It's not a sports car. I, I, I just got to put it out there. It's not a sports car. I, I can't believe they would put Hankooks. On, and not Michelin on a car like that. Well, they, they had two base Taycans. One of them had Hankook EV tyres. The other one had Continental tyres. So I was a bit confused. But apparently the factory has a range of tyres they equipped them with, and I just happened to get the crappiest one. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's, it wasn't a very confidence-inspiring car around tight corners, I can tell you that much. Not because it was losing traction necessarily, but there's just so much weight you really, because of the lack of the, you know, sporty suspension, you really feel the weight of the car into the corners. Mm. It's a heavy beast. i got to say, like you said, 153000 plus 12 grand for that thing and a couple of other options maybe, and you're already at two hundred grand on the road. That's not even on the um, road. That's plus on roads. So, yeah. yeah. When you think that, I know it's a different vehicle, but when you think that EV6 GT is coming, um, that'll do totally 0 to 100 in 3.4. 3.5, actually 3.5 for about uh, – that will be less than 100 grand, right? I know, but if you can convince a Porsche Taycan buyer to buy a Kia, I would be pretty exactly. impressed. 
Um, I know, man, but it's a poor man's Taycan. It's it's everyone knows <laughs> it too. I literally like. said in my review that it's not a poor man's Taycan. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Damn well it is, man. <laughs> it doesn't go around corners properly. It's yeah, got crap tires on it. You can't tell. It doesn't have it. Like the turbo doesn't have wider arches or anything like that. Like it's I it's know. actually. Like, it's not like a 911 to a GD3 or a GD3 RS. It's it's totally different. It's it just doesn't. The tur- you know what it is? There's nothing wrong with the base Taycan. I think probably the problem is they haven't made the Turbo S aggressive enough for me. Like that needs to look a lot more aggressive to justify spending yeah. 450 grand on road. So that's a lot of money for an EV. I can tell you, that's a lot of money for an EV. Well, while we're talking Porsche, what's the latest on the GT3 and the GT3 RS? Uh, they're all gone. So, oh, um, no. really? Yeah. GT3 RS is gone? Yeah, not, yeah I, I actually uh, had a deposit on a GT4 RS and I called them to change it to a GT3 and they laughed at me. And then I said, okay, fair enough. What if I put it on a GT3 RS? And they laughed at me even harder. And I thought that's got to be rubbish, right? So I, I, I thought I'll talk to Porsche Australia when I go to this event and I did. And they even laughed at me even harder than the dealer, and and, and they're all gone. Like the the entire oh. allocation of GD3 and GD3 RS are gone. In fact, if you want a GD3 or a GD3 RS of the 992.2, there's already a wait list for that one too, which is like four to five years away or, or three years at least. So it's a bit crazy. But that's what um, we're talking about, 992. No, but we're talking about 992.1. So the current one coming, the one we haven't even yeah, seen. It's not here yet. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> even seen the GD3 RS in its official. Uh, uh, but also the other thing is there's a lot less of them in this generation coming to Australia than there were of mm. the 991.2. So there's about 100 GD3s and less than 50 GD3 RSs coming. There's a lot more of those in the 991 generation. This is sad. This is sad. Yeah. yeah. So I can, I can see a lot of people being buying them and flipping them for 150 grand, 200 grand more immediately to make money and i really just like those people but yeah um, i hate them out there. Yep. you hate can them. just yep. uh shift your deposit to a base model Taycan now boss <laughs> yeah man you've yeah. completely put me off that base model Taycan. i just car. don't want to know about it it's i mean i'm going you. around a roundabout and someone's going to be sort of laughing is that a porsche uh, yes it is <laughs> like, like it's squealing like a nanny yeah you like, really need to change the tires i i i I think they're probably maybe saving 30 to 40K range by putting those EV tires on. And I can tell you, it's just not worth it. Just forget it. Don't worry about it. Put some proper tires on it so you can actually enjoy the car. Like forget this low resistance rubbish that all these EV manufacturers put on. It's just not worth it. No. Well, let us know what you think. Um, you can post your comments in uh, the review at carexpert.com.au or email podcast at carexpert.com.au. Alboz, fella, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Okay, Will, what events and launches have we got coming up over the next week? Well, next week I will be heading to Canberra uh, to drive the Audi e-tron S, so that'll be exciting. Uh, Meanwhile, I understand, Tony, that you are going to a BMW i event in Sydney. I believe so, driving all the i for iX and whatever the other i is. (laughs) There's three of them. You've already done your pre-reading, I see. Yeah, it's a it's a taste of BMW's electrification program. So it'll it'll be interesting. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, through the garages, um, we in Melbourne. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be leaving Melbourne, but uh, we'll have a Volvo XC90 
uh, Kia Stonic GT line, Ford Puma, uh, an Audi Q2 and an Audi e-tron 55. Oh, another e-tron. An Audi e-tron 55 here. Um, in Sydney, uh, we're going to have a Genesis G80 2.5T with the Sportline uh, package. Um, and it looks like, Tony, you may also be getting uh, behind the wheel of Volkswagen Golf R and a Volkswagen Tiguan R. So you're just... Very yeah, I got, there's a lot on in Sydney, actually. Um, not to mention the Corvette that I'm picking up tomorrow Ooh, uh, for a four-day, a quick loan. Um, just a pre-drive uh, before Paul um, does his video thing in Melbourne in next month, I believe. Uh, he'll be getting it down there for a more proper evaluation. So we'll do some social stuff. But it'd be great to uh, see how this thing actually drives. Mm. Yes. Oh, you're um, very keen to hear your thoughts about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up. I'm, I'm still trying to get over the potpourri of car design line. I just uh, <laughs> oh, Crawford, bundle of laughs. Tony Crawford and William Stopford, thank you so much. Thanks, Mandy. Until next time.